Hello, this is Kevin Doherty, your host of Just Thinking with yours truly. I am the Chief Strategy Officer for 806 Technologies, and I am delighted to have a special guest here today, Caleb Campbell. So Caleb, um, I know who you are, and I know there are viewers and listeners who know who you are, but I, I want to make sure everybody knows Caleb Campbell. So Caleb, who who is Caleb Campbell? Oh, before I dive into that answer, I just want to say one, yes. thanks for thanks for having me, Kevin. I, you know, from the moment we had a chance to connect, whenever that was last year, I feel like uh, I found a, a long lost soul brother. And so awesome, I just deeply brother. appreciate you and I appreciate the opportunity to jump on this podcast with you. Uh, and to answer that question, uh, to the best of my ability, because I feel like that is the the question that I am constantly leaning into. You know, I'm somebody yes. that strongly believes that we are just um, so complex and beautiful and magical. And the, the invitation to deepen our understanding of self is always being extended to us. And so I'm constantly leaning into that question, who am I? But on the surface level, I am just a young boy that was born and raised in the dirt road, the red dirt roads of the Texas panhandle. Uh, I, nice. I was raised in Perryton, Texas, up there at the top of the state. I graduated high school, attended the United States Military Academy at West Point, where I played Division I football for all four years. I started all four years. My sophomore year at the academy had a chance to kind of gain some national exposure, which led me to the NFL draft my senior year. I found myself given the permission to play in the NFL after I got selected by the Detroit Lions and serve simultaneously. And I did that for about a few years after a big part of my story happening in between that. Um, but then when I left the NFL, I kind of knew that the way that I was doing life was no longer working. Um, mm -hmm. There was something in me that knew that there was something missing in my life. There was something more available to me, but the way that I was trying to satisfy that, what I call an inner ache, um, it was leaving me kind of the type of tire that more sleep doesn't solve. And so I walked away from the NFL. I went on this kind of, you can call it inner healing journey. I moved to Canada, became a janitor of an organization for about five years, slept on the basement floor of a boiler room. I wow. woke up, yeah, I woke up every day. I vacuumed floored, washed windows and changed light bulbs in exchange for free therapy so I could be, better understand um, how to create a life that I am satisfied and proud of. And then from that season of my life, I had the chance to tell my story on one stage, which has led to hundreds of stages, which has ultimately led me here to this podcast with you. That is so awesome. I didn't realize it was five years. That you yes, sir. Wow. Yes. So, so this experience that you had there was a, a, a bit of an epiphany, right? So you struck <laughs> an epiphany. Uh, it, it didn't hit you immediately. Obviously, this was a bit of a process. So yeah. you mind speaking a little bit more to this kind of life-changing experience that you had when you went to Canada? Absolutely. It's a great question. Um, there were so many epiphanies, but I think the okay. big one for me was recognizing that what I was looking for in my pursuit of success has actually been buried within me all along. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So like what I was looking for, and sometimes the way that I say it is like the ground that I was trying to attain by doing more, achieving more, trying to be more was actually the ground that I have been standing on all along. It's the difference, Kevin, between waking up every day mm -hmm. and trying to fight and lead for significance versus living from a place of significance. Mm. 
that was the big transition or the big inner shift that I experienced in my life. And when I saw that, I felt like, whoa, the spaciousness inside of my, you know, deep innermost self just opened up. I felt like I can drop my shoulders and relax my hands and loosen my jaw and put a smile on my face and enjoy my life again, re yeah. recognizing that, wait, everything that I had been fighting for in the pursuit of doing more, achieving more, you know, running higher, running faster, running longer, all of the sure. things like, wait, it's been buried within me all along. And that just changed the complete trajectory of my life. So you didn't have to earn that sense of mm. significance. You were already blessed with it. It's already there. Yeah. And so. I think that's, that's the, that's a wake up, you know, moment for every single one of us that, you know, we have the opportunity if we're willing to do the, the, the work if we're willing to do what I call like the deepening. Um, that's mm. what we can wake up to. And that can just completely change the overall trajectory of our lives. Wow, so powerful. So, um, so you're sharing this message now with folks, as you said, hundreds of stages, um, you know, have have come your way to be able to share the message and so forth. We um, in the organization that I am a part of, 806 Technologies, um, of course, we're serving educators and I'm a 40 year educator. So principal, teacher and then working in the field of serving educators for the rest of that time. What is it about um, you and your message that um, makes education and educators an appealing place to share this message? Yeah, it's a great question. One, I had a substitute teacher actually hmm. in my life in high school, um, which I would say was probably the most challenging season of my life. And I'm talking boot camp in the military, I'm talking hmm. NFL training camp. Wow. The war, the battleground, the war zone of high school was by far the most uh, challenging four years of my life. And hmm. I found myself in a, a really dark place in high school. And the hard part was, is that, you know, I'm an all-state high school quarterback. Everybody knows my name. I was just inducted into Great. the Texas, Texas High School Football Hall of Fame. Congrats. You know, thank you. I'm, I'm leading us to another state, uh, you know, playoff run. But... I, I felt like a foreigner in my own body. I felt like I didn't belong anywhere and like feeling like an outsider looking in, not really finding your community, not finding your place of belonging that really just really wreaked havoc on my emotional well-being. And I ultimately I felt trapped by my success, meaning mm. I was so afraid, you know, as this all-star high school quarterback to talk and to open up, you know, to my coaches because if my coaches saw that I was actually struggling, they would see that I'm not as strong as they thought I was, or I'm not as good as they thought I was. I couldn't go to my parents necessarily, because if I'm being honest, my parents' relationship was barely holding on as it was. And sure. the stress that we lived in as child, as kids growing up in my family, I wasn't about to add more weight to the burden that my, my parents were already carrying. And I couldn't go to some of my so-called friends because I learned the hard way. Not everybody is a safe person. And so right. there was an educator, there was a teacher that, you know, came into my life and she was a, a substitute teacher for the majority of my senior year in high school uh, with the teacher that was out due to an illness. And mm -hmm. she was just such a safe space, hmm. such a safe space for me to come as my whole authentic self and to like, I could, I could cry thinking about this, but just to to be me and give me the permission, like write me this permission slip to it's okay 
not to have it all together. It's okay to cry. It's okay to let it out. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to do all of these things right. that you've been so you know conditioned to not do because you saw it as a failure, as a sign of weakness. And Kevin, yeah. when I tell you, she she saved my life. She she saved my right. life. And so I think when I look back at her as well, what she could do and the reason why she could hold that space for me that ultimately became a mirror to reveal back to me the goodness that was in me, the inner strength that was already within me, is that this woman, she had she had capacity. Right. She had the bandwidth to show up and to create that space in for me and in my life and for anybody else that she was mm -hmm. having conversations with. And right now, I think, you know, I've been in hundreds of schools and I've been in front of hundreds of thousands of students and staff and right. faculty members over the last several years. If there is one common denominator that I have come in contact with, with every single school that I have spoken at is that right now, especially as education leaders are being asked to do more with fewer mm -hmm. resources, like, my yep. God, they are operating on the margins of their capacity day after day. And not only does this rob them or sacrifice, ultimately result in them sacrificing the joy and the passion that they once had for the job that they do, that right. lack of bandwidth and capacity in their lives is also, you know, really affecting the psychological safety of classrooms. Sure. Where students sure. can show up and feel safe yeah. enough to fully engage and to participate in a way that can ultimately change their lives just like it changed mine. And so to answer your question, I think it's it's a, a little bit of both. And um, sure. it's just been such a heart for me. or uh, It's been a big part of my heart to just help educators realize that even in the face of adversity, even in the face of these unparalleled challenges, even as you are waking up the type of tired that more sleep doesn't solve, there is an untapped capacity buried so deep within you. And if we can unlock that, that's going to give you the bandwidth needed to not only meet the demands of this complex world and in mm -hmm. and, and, and industry that we work that you work in, but it's also going to allow you to reclaim the joy and the satisfaction, the inner peace that has mm -hmm. been sacrificed on the altar of just getting by so that you can continue to show up and ultimately deepen your impact as an educator. That's very powerful. You know, you triggered several thoughts as you were discussing that, but, you know, especially being a former principal and working with teachers and encouraging them that you may be that one person, yeah. right? And so that one person for you was a miner, someone who could help mine that gem that was there within you, that you by yourself weren't able to unearth and bring to the surface but through uh, through her patience, through her love, through her intuition and so forth, she was able to help you to mine that and bring wow. it out. And, and it was a substitute teacher, wasn't even one of the everyday staff or whatever. So but she was obviously there for for a reason. And, and she came into your life at a time when you were experiencing this internal struggle that yeah. you couldn't show on your face uh, to to others. Um, that were there in your in your circle, including at home. And so um, you're experiencing some some trauma during this time. You've talked about, you know, the battlefield that was being in the high school and uh, and the challenge and trauma that that represented. You, you just shared some of the um, challenges and struggles that a lot of educators today are experiencing 
And I think it was heightened by the pandemic and yeah. the additional layers of stress and trauma that that placed on, on folks. So I, um, I see a lot of educators and even some students, even you know a year or two out of the pandemic, in survival mode yeah. um, and really seeking a message of hope and, and possibility. What words do you have for them, for those educators and for those uh, students, those learners that are maybe experiencing that right now? Yeah, it's a great question. One, I wish I could just give you a consensual hug. <laughs> I, I think everybody could use a, a deep soul hug in their life, and I'm a huge advocate of those. Um, but secondly, I would say that I, the, the, the word that keeps coming to my heart as I'm thinking about it is just self-compassion. And what I mean by this is I think for a lot of us, we fear inadequacy. We fear failure. We fear of not measuring up. We fear of not meeting the mark, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. None of those things can sink our lives. You, 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 you look at any great out there in any industry, any sport, like failure, unmet expectations, falling short. It's like, come on, really? Those are all going to happen. But I'm telling you right now, not only do I know from my own personal experience, but I've also witnessed that time and time again, what will sink your life is the way you treat yourself in the midst of that failure. Yeah, And I think it's really hard, Kevin, to love our lives when we hate who we are. Um, and I think that right there, if we can learn how to meet ourselves with compassion in the moments of mistakes and failures and shortcomings, all of the things that where we would usually use, and I used to be the king of this, my God, turn on myself like Self-criticism was an incredible motivator to, to fuel that fire and to get the job done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But over time, that self-criticism, it begins to really weigh heavily on the relationship that you have with yourself. If you think about it, Kevin, like, my God, sure. none of us would tolerate the way, none of us would tolerate somebody speaking to our loved ones the way that we often speak to ourselves about ourselves in the midst of failure. We would mm. never tolerate that, but yet we tolerate right. it day after day in our own inner narratives. And so I'm saying self-compassion because honestly, I said it earlier, we, we cannot love our lives and the work that we do when we hate who we are and learning how to befriend ourselves, learning how to, you know, we were talking about this before we got on the call. I have a two-year-old, mm -hmm. she turns two in two days. Mm -hmm. Nice. And I, I see her, you know, make these little mistakes or I see her fall short. I see her like the expectations of carrying four books at one time just completely go unmet as she drops them on. I see the anger and the screaming that's happening. Yeah. And one, I'm like, oh my God, I am so, you are so me <laughs> overachiever <laughs> through and through. But two, I'm not like, I'm not looking at my, my two-year-old and say, you know what? Try harder. Right. I'm not saying, you know what? Right. Be better. And so right. I'm like, wait, what if we could all what if we could just all recognize that inside of us all, Kevin, is a little boy or a little girl, it's a little inner child, right? That just needs to be loved and need to be shown compassion and need to and needs to experience an internal sense of safety in the way that we can help that little child in us grow up, right? Mm -hmm. Is by showing it compassion and showing it love. And so that self-compassion, it's been revolutionary in my life. And I think it's something that it's oftentimes overlooked in right. the world of thinking that the answer is outside of us when really the answer has been with us all along. Yeah. 
That's powerful too. And I, you know, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking that that internal voice that you said, you know, we, we'd be shocked if we heard yeah. someone talking to someone, let alone a child, that way. And yet, it's the way so many individuals talk to themselves internally. Absolutely. Add to that stress and that um, I don't know the the challenge that comes with that is the idea that it's happening internally, but on the outside we're having to show the face of that's not happening. Absolutely. So you're 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 dealing with it internally, so it makes the struggle almost doubly hard. Yeah. And the, the words doubly harsh because you're not only hearing that voice, but you're not able to. Um, to express it or show it in any way. So uh, it's like a, a horrible secret. Absolutely. Um, and that's what makes life feel so disconnected and lonely. Like yeah. that's what makes life feel so disconnected and lonely. And my, like the, the, in the depths of who we are, like we're, we, you know, this we're wired for connection and there right. is no connection if we're not willing to just embrace a greater measure of authenticity in our lives. And, you know what? If that is your internal narrative, that's okay. That right. is okay. Don't don't for one second beat yourself up for it because shame is not going to help anybody, right? But two, in order to actually address it, we have to recognize it, we have to accept it, and then we got to bring that conversation to the table and allow it to be spoken about, whether that's with a therapist or a trusted resource or somebody that's close to you in your life. Like we've we've got to talk about these things. When we talk about these things, when we bring it to when we bring it to the surface and give it voice, you know, Brene, shame, Brene Brown talks about this often, mm -hmm. how like that, that shame that has a grip on you, like it begins to loosen its grip just by talking about it. And so there's yeah. power in finding that safe space and talking about these things. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking about your past experiences. So you talked about high school challenges there, um, just some things going on family wise around that time in your life. And then West Point, um, you served for two years, yes? I, I served, yes. When I graduated West Point, I was commissioned. On the day of my first NFL contract signing, um, they told me that that policy that was created by the Department of Defense no longer exists. I had to return back to active duty for two years. And then after those two years of serving, if I can get another professional contract, I could opt to play. Um, and so I went and I served for two years and then I got another contract by the Detroit Lions and I'm back and played mm -hmm. after those two years. So all of this happened before these epiphanies occurred. Yes. So talk a little bit about all those experiences and really how they helped to shape where you are right now post epiphanies. How the early like traumatic experiences in my life. I, I mean, I, I'm saying sometimes people say things happen for a reason or whatever, sure. or you use the bad for good. So do you feel that way? Or I do. I have a motto that I kind of live by that says everything belongs. Okay. And I think that is hard to hear, especially when you've been through hell and back in your life or when you've mm -hmm. been through something just, just so painful and so hard. But I think this motto of everything belongs for me has ultimately led me to this place of, radical acceptance the quickest way to change your life is by accepting who you are where you are and i think a lot of the prolonged suffering that we experience in our lives is a resistance towards the things that are happening to us so like mm -hmm. whether we're experiencing mental and emotional challenges whether we are experiencing disturbances within our relationships whatever those challenges might be happening resisting them 
right, actually prolongs the suffering. Barbara Brown Taylor was one of my favorite uh, leaders and speakers, writers, and uh, just ultimately kind of spiritual leaders. And she has this really profound quote, and she says, it's not the fear that will sink your life. It's the energy that we spend avoiding fear that will sink our lives. Mm. And I love that because like, my friends, it's not the fear, it's not the sadness, it's not the grief, it's not the anger, it's not the divorce, it's not the, the lost child, it's none of these things will actually sink our lives, like they hurt. But what sinks our lives is the energy we spend avoiding these things, from really mm. feeling them and engaging them, processing them, and ultimately releasing them. That's what sinks our lives. And so this idea, like everything belongs, all of the unmet expectations, all of the unfilled dreams, all of the grief, all of the anger, all of the self-hatred, all of the shame, all of those experiences, as I realized like, no, they're not happening to me. They are happening for me. And it's through the process of accepting them, bringing them close to my heart so that I could ultimately lean into them and, you know, you know, mm -hmm. kiss them with the lips of compassion. If I can be poetic mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is the, that was where I found the healing. That is where mm -hmm. I found the, uh, the opportunity to alchemize that pain into light and into love and to empathy and to compassion that really fuels me in the work that I do. And I, I just think that that radical acceptance, that, that understanding that everything belongs in our lives is what ultimately allows us to take the very things that we thought were going to ruin us and recognize that no way, those are the very things that are, if we allow will elevate us. Oh, well, you and I have talked before about my death to life experience. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, you know, when you talk about fear, that's one of the things that, that changes your focus and uh, perspective on fear. When you have an experience like that, it, yeah. it changes you. You, you live in a more bold way than you did before something like that happened. Not that anyone would ever pick for that to happen, but Absolutely. when it does happen, you know, how do you, how do you live uh, going forward out of something like that. And I, I'm thinking about you right now. So I'm looking at Caleb Campbell and I'm thinking about the high school kid that you were. I'm thinking about the uh, the West Point student that you were, the soldier that you were, the, um, the NFL football player that you were. And, the, and I'm looking at where you are right now and, the, and how you shared all of these things have helped shape where you are right now. So, so talk to us about Caleb Campbell right now in this place in your life and where you are and the role that you play and in the work that you do. So yeah. where, where are you now, Caleb? Oh, physically in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, but I think for me, it, Kevin, it's taken a lot of work for me to wake up and say that the life that I have is the life that I want. Okay. And for the longest time, I'd wake up and the life that I had was not the life that I wanted or the life that I knew was possible. And that distance between the two, what happened is it would ultimately mirror back to me that either one, I had not worked or accomplished enough or two, worse yet, there was something intrinsically broken in me. And either way, my soul was tired. Mm -hmm. And so it's been this ongoing process of learning how to accept who I am and where I am, that that's the great paradox in life. Like the way down is actually the way up. Like the quickest way to accelerate your life is to quit resisting and take all of that energy that you were using to resist to actually be present with what is and to grow through it. And as you grow through it, you expand your life from the inside out. And just, I'm now, I would say, Kevin, I, I realized, I was talking to my wife about this um, just recently. I was doing some work with a, a district outside of Los Angeles who hmm. I do work with them every year at the beginning of the year. Um, hmm. 
I was just like, I have a vision that I read every morning when I sit down to meditate that looks, it's a vision of my, my speaking business, you know, and I was laughing because, and I'm not saying this to like, you know, flex in any ways. I do a lot of traveling and with traveling sure. comes perks. Um, right. We sure. were upgraded to first class and here I am nice. with my wife and my two-year-old daughter and me, and we're taking three first class seats. <laughs> yeah. I'm just yeah. like, and I'm going to go get paid to impact people with a story that I thought was going to be the end of me. But wow. there was something yeah. in me that said, don't, don't you dare stop. You better keep right. leaning into this. And now the way I leaned into it was different than I ex expected or the way that I thought I would lean into it. But to look back at my life and be like, it was, it was all happening for me. Like this has, this has been orchestrated from the beginning and my job was to just trust. Like that's really at the core of what this is all about. Like I say, I say this often, Kevin, there's a river of life flowing in us and through us. And we spend all of our time trying to push the river of our life forward. But the real work is learning how to recognize one, that there's a river already flowing and two, learning how to rest in the river. So the natural current of life can take us more effortlessly, more gracefully and with more ease. And I feel like where I'm at now is I'm learning to rest in the river of my life. Nice. So, um, so you, you're doing a lot of speaking, you're going to be speaking for us, uh, at the learning summit, connecting the dots. What, what do you hope people walk away with the takeaways when they, they come see you speak at some of these events or yeah. trainings that you do? That's a great question. I think one of my favorite compliments that I've received was um, a, a woman heard me speak in Washington, D.C. at a big event. And she came up to me and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, Caleb, I think for the first time and I don't know how long I feel like I can breathe again. Wow. And that was just such a, a, a beautiful compliment for me to hear because I feel like right now what we need is, if you think about it, Kevin, like if you put like one hand on your chest and one hand on your stomach, you take an inhale, right? And you're holding that inhale. And as you hold that inhale, you can feel the crowdedness like in your body, right? There, there's not much margin to do anything. And then if you inhale on top of that, there's really not much margin to do anything, right. but if you exhale, right. you immediately feel the spaciousness back nice. in your life. Mm -hmm. You have yeah. the space to navigate the complexity of life, to navigate the mishaps and the mistakes, the inevitable challenges, not just to survive them, but to mm -hmm. intentionally navigate them with more awareness, right? And then that is the path to increased resiliency. Man, far too many of us are surviving every day and calling it resiliency, and it's not. It's survival. Mm, mm, right? We mm, need spaciousness. We need capacity to navigate the challenges, and it's through that uh, capacity that actually offers us deeper resiliency. And it, we also need spaciousness to sustain the demands on our lives as education leaders. Right? There is right. a lot that's being asked of you, and I a see lot. that. And so it's so important that we are able to exhale. We're able to unlock this untapped capacity within us so that we can meet those demands and sustain the high performance that is required of us. And also that I would argue we want to give. We want to give that. We want to show up as our best selves. And then lastly, we need that capacity. We need that spaciousness to be unlocked in our lives to reclaim the joy, the passion 
that we have sacrificed on the altar of just surviving another day. And so this, so much of this is my heartbeat. So much of this is my work. And I think it's my deepest desire and I can get into more tangible specifics. But when I think about it at as a, as a macro level, it's just like you're walking away with a better understanding of recognizing the answer is not out there. This challenge that we are all facing, especially as education leaders are being asked to do more, more right now with fewer resources, the answer is not outside of us. Like, right. sure. Can there be policy changes? Absolutely. Can we see things come down from the government that might shift the trajectory of this? this Absolutely. But right now, if we're going to spend our time waiting on them to make changes, we're going to miss our entire life. And so there is this uh, willingness to become an active participant in reclaiming the agency over our well-being, our performance, and ultimately our lives. And you're going to be able to understand how and what that looks like. Well, Caleb, I, I could talk for hours and you and I probably <laughs> will extend yes. this conversation beyond this podcast, but um, I'm coming to the end. I've tried to keep them around 30 minutes, these oh, sessions. Nice. Um, and so we're, we're coming down to uh, the end of that time right now, but I always want to finish with the question. Is there uh, anything else that you're just thinking that I didn't give you a chance to answer to or speak to? So what, what else are you just thinking, Caleb? That's a great question. You're supposed to give this to me like a week in advance. I am. <laughs> no, it's great. I think for me, Kevin, I'm somebody that um, I have adopted a philosophy in life. And this comes from one of my, my favorite poets, Rilke. He, he has a, a poem that talks about how essentially don't try to find the answers, learn how to ask the right questions. And eventually maybe you can live your way into the answer. And so, so much of my life is really like, how do I ask better questions? What are the questions that I want to live into so that I can become the answer? And one of the questions that I've been asking myself is in a world, in, in a culture that screams bigger, faster, stronger, do more, be more, achieve more. What does it actually look like to go deeper? And I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I, I feel that like the answer that we're not looking for, the answer that we're looking for is not found on this familiar path of the upward trajectory of do more, be more, achieve more. Right now with where we are at mentally, emotionally as leaders, and in the face of the unprecedented challenges and changes that we are experiencing, the answer that we are looking for is only going to be discovered at the bottom of an internal deepening. So what I'm thinking about is every day I wake up and I say, what does it look like to deepen today? And the answer can be anything, right? It can be like to right. be a little bit more present, maybe to go into right. deeper, deeper uh, connection with my partner, my wife, Kara, mm -hmm. my daughter, Sophie, or maybe it's about mm -hmm. deepening, you know, my work as a writer and spending like, what does it look like to deepen today and not spend my life kind of hovering over the, the surface an inch, an inch deep, but instead go a mile deep so I can feel more connected to my body, feel more connected to my purpose and feel more connected to the, the greater whole, the greater whole that is holding this all together. And so what does it look like to go deeper is something I've been thinking about lately. I love it. Well, that's a great note on which to end Caleb, um, to end this conversation and this podcast, but the conversation will continue and I cannot wait to meet you in person. Give you a big hug. See you uh, in June at the Learning Summit in uh, Frisco, Texas. So, and I do hope you'll bring your family. Thank we look forward to, to meeting your wife and, and Sophie. 
Yes. And uh, so that'll be awesome. Well, Caleb, thanks so much for your gift of time today and for your thoughts and, um, and for the inspiration that I'm sure many will draw from this podcast. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Take care.